Um, This morning's scripture reading is from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. And you can find this on page 827 if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided in the chair pockets or at the end of the aisles. Again, 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 11 to 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, we all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. So I tried hard to consider what the immediate and majority impression would be reading this particular passage. And seeing that title for the sermon up on the screen, sharing good news on napkins, and the the one word impression that came to mind was pressure. Faced with the truth of the Son of God going to you, dying for you, freely offering new creation life to you, it becomes pretty clear how we are called to respond for those of us who receive that good news. And it, yet we don't respond necessarily the way God calls us to um, And I want to go ahead and and immediately relieve some pressure because of something you may have overlooked in this passage as we read. I know I certainly did initially. And that is that Paul speaks of we and not me. Look at that in your Bible if you have it with you. Take a careful look. Twenty times in this passage, Paul says we, us, our, versus one time where he says I, me, mine. Paul is the one who goes to, who freely shares the good news about Jesus with the people of Corinth, suffering with them, working for them. He spends a year and a half with them. And while he's away, after he leaves, they've begun to doubt Paul. They start to to really welcome with open arms the emergence of a handful of more charismatic leaders with more polished outward appearances, right? The slick hair, the nice capped white teeth. 
the big smile, and frankly, they tell better stories. Because it's pretty clear that they start to gradually stray away from the good news about Jesus for something else. The focus changes. How would you feel if that was you? How, how, have you, how do you feel when those you kind of got started in any arena of life and you raised up, whether it be children, employees, people you volunteer with, people you had an influence on, they begin to stray when you walk away. Parents know this well. Every child goes through at least a couple, if not multiple, and prolonged, in some cases, strayings from how you brought them up in life. So in that moment where you see someone straying, we either kind of turn self-critical. Where did I go wrong? Where did I fail? Or we get defensive, self-defensive. We cast blame on society or it's the media or it's somebody else, but not me. And Paul, what's interesting here, under this kind of pressure, seeing these other leaders step up in the Corinthian church and kind of move people away from the good news about Jesus as the best news of their life, he doesn't get that way, self-critical or self-defensive. Why? Because he recognizes he's part of a team. It's a we. It's not just a me. And what does that do for us? To recognize it's a we in this effort to share the good news about Jesus with, with others. A couple summers ago at the airport in Atlanta, Georgia, the Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, I was uh, in a line to an escalator going down to the plane train. The plane train was this sort of train underground that moves people between terminals, oftentimes from domestic to international or to various places. And there was a line to the escalator going down to the train. It was something I'd never seen before. It was so long that like, the woman from the gift shop grabbed some waters and newspapers and started selling them to people in line, which I've never seen before at an airport. And frankly, outside of the four-way stop next to the hospital here in Georgetown. <laughs> so I got down into the corridor where you wait for the train, and I took a picture. You could see how crowded it was that day. And I don't even know why I took a picture. For this sermon, God knew. It was, a, it was just absolutely manic, and I had time to just before my flight. So I just stood against the wall, ate my Panda Express, and I people-watched, which I sometimes like to do. And, Two scenes stood out. Uh, one was a single mom by herself, three kids. The two-year-old was crying and refusing to get out of the stroller as she tried to get to her kids into the plane train. And the two-year-old was like, no, 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 Bobby, I want to stay away from that. She just couldn't get them in. And you could tell she was just feeling the pressure. Her kids started to blame her. Mom, why didn't you get us in? Why she was blushing. I should, I should rationalize for a moment. I was on the other side of the corridor. Just so everyone knows, no way I could get there in time. <laughs> so a few minutes later, a group of, of young ladies came down the escalator. It was a woman's, it's like a women's softball team started to gather, put, put the pieces together. And the team seniors immediately, when they saw the crowd, saw the challenge that was ahead of them, the seniors immediately directed two of the players to the far car, two to the middle, and two to the near car, while the rest of the team watched the carry-on luggage. Someone from the far car shouted out, hey, there's room in here. The girls with the carry-ons held, each carry-on rolled one in each hand, and everybody was able to get to, the entire team was able to get to that far car in time, into the plane train, and on to their flight. 
But good news requires teamwork. Good news teamwork does two things. Number one, it lessens pressure. As we saw on that plane, or on that plane train, going it alone is just difficult. It's hard. Gospel sharing is a team sport. We're called to share the load. It's not all up to you. Even if it's just you and another person who hasn't yet heard about Jesus or is curious and you're kind of sharing with them, you can be confident that a triune God is with you. A team is with you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father's ancient plan for salvation. The Son's working out that plan. The one who carried out the good news for you and the Holy Spirit to spread it and to work on people's hearts. Not to mention, even if you're by yourself, it's calling someone after or WhatsApping them or texting them and saying, hey, you know, I just got this opportunity to share with someone. Would you pray for Marcia? Would you pray for Frederick? It's a team sport. You have pastors and elders who encourage you and equip you like I'm going to do this morning. So first thing that Good News Teamwork does is it lessens the pressure, but it also promotes good news confidence. As you pray for, as you witness others share the good news, around you, as you hear of other people doing it and you hear stories, it's encouraging. And that's why Paul clarifies in this passage without sounding insecure and full of self-doubt. Because he knows this isn't just my thing, it's our thing. I love the New Living Translation of verse 13. If you read that, it would say, if it seems like we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. If we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Right? And, and it's far easier to appear a little nuts as long as you're with others. It's much harder to kind of put yourself out there, isn't it? When you're just, it's just you. When you're with other people, and everyone's kind of acting the fool for Jesus, it's just a little easier. But when the, we just keep getting rejected on our own, we start to wonder, man, am I saying it wrong? How good is this good news? Does it really work? Do I need to do more to kind of make the gospel work? No. Teamwork promotes gospel confidence, good news confidence. So as we send ambassadors to beaches to give an unconditionally good Friday to others who are camping out there, we do so in teams. Equipping you this morning, resourcing you with materials, gathering to pray prior, and then going out two by two, and that's what I would encourage you to do, two by two, to a tent, to hand these out, and just say, look, we were just thinking about you. Like we recognize that, hey, it's getting muggy out here. We want to do something just to share God's love with you. It's our way of saying God loves you, no strings attached. <clears throat> you hand this to them. The sticker on it reinforces God loves you, no strings attached. has our website at the, Bible, at the, at the bottom. That's it. I guarantee you guys, people are going to ask you. Someone's going to ask you or ask someone on your team, why? Why are you guys doing this? It's going to promote these kind of good news conversations which we want to have with others. And we want to get used to ourselves for our own growth. The problem is gaining a hearing. Actually, there's two problems. The first problem is some of us consider this doesn't apply to us. It only applies to professionals, to pastors, to, to leaders, to elders. There are no bench warmers on God's team. You hear me? We're all called to play the role of an ambassador for Jesus. That's why it's a we. No bench warmers. Here's the second issue, though, and this happens to do with the people we're trying to share Jesus with, and that is gaining a hearing. Our generation hears much, but listens little. You know what I mean by that? We take in a lot, but we actually listen 
process. Think about very little. I think Os Guinness, one of my favorite thinkers and writers, said it best. He says, no generation has had to forget as much as ours. Think about that for a moment. No generation has had to forget as much as ours. Why? Because we only have so much capacity up here in this noggin. Yet we have so much information, global and local, constantly available at our fingertips. You ever notice one of the problems with information oversaturation is we can't almost afford to fact-check stories. So whether it's a personal story someone tells you or something you hear just anecdotally from others. Because there's so much going on in our lives, because we're hearing about so much, and so much is coming in here, we can't actually fact-check if it's true. So if we hear about a report on, on global, local, social information, we almost immediately have to either just believe it or reject it. There's nothing in between. There's no thought thinking about it. There's no talking about it with others. There's no wondering if it's true. Because there's so much information, we're constantly having to get in here and get out again. You know what I mean? Don't you feel that sometimes? I was reminded of this on Thursday. I spoke to a very thoughtful gentleman at Simboco over here who's on island to speak and do some training with teachers at ICCI. And I went right into what you'll see on your bulletin is step three, which is share the good news on the napkin. So we started to talk a little bit. I was like, you mind if I share something with you? I'm working on a message. He was asking me about my, my sermon. I told him what I was doing, so I shared it with him. But though he was very relational and he listened and I tried to do likewise, it was very obvious that his categories for God, salvation, sin, human beings, were far different. And the reason they were far different is a couple things he'd seen on the History Channel and CNN and an article he read from his Yahoo News feed. Even though he's a very thoughtful professor, thoughtful guy, the reality is we just get these little pieces. People get these pieces. This is what they think about Christianity and they move on. Most people haven't rejected Christianity. They've rejected a caricature. So people are starting a little bit more behind than curious, a little bit more behind than knowing anything about God, salvation, sin. They don't have these categories. So gaining a hearing with this generation requires doing some good news prep work. What I'll call some prep work for the good news. Let me just share you a couple ways you can prepare people in relationship. Okay, to actually share with them, to get to step three and actually laying out the good news. Firstly, the first prep work we all have to do is make sure that the good news stays good for you. This is absolutely crucial because people are going to recognize as you start to talk to them about what you believe, about what you think, if it really grips your heart. They'll notice, they'll see it, they'll hear it in your voice. And if it's not really good to you, you can't fool people with that. If it's not gripping you that day, that week, that month, people are going to see that. Paul explains to the Corinthians that two emotions, he says, grips our hearts as we share the good news about Jesus. Firstly, fear of displeasing a generous Lord. Secondly, the love of Christ. Verse 11, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Paul and company don't just just kind of speculate. They know this scene. They've replayed it in their minds, probably in small groups, probably over lunch. Meeting Jesus at the judgment seat and fearing hearing from him, you're a citizen, but not an ambassador. See, if you trust Jesus, you're a citizen of the kingdom. But I know that I want to hear also, you're an ambassador. You represented me. 
You're not only going to be with me forever, but you represented me on earth. That well done. Paul knows that, that scene of being there and not hearing, man, you were an ambassador for me. And yet, yet also, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. So we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all died. Even though we may have fallen short of being that representative, that ambassador, even though we've shown apathy at times, indifference, that can't change Jesus' love and acceptance towards you. So that other rebels, sinners, and ragamuffins need to know about this good news, about Jesus' great acceptance and love for you, that should control our steely focus, our, our, our big plans, our, our audacious prayers, what we, comes out of our mouth. Paul is intimately equated with this. But in order to do so, we have to replay this good news every day in our lives. From a love angle, remember your rebellion. Remember your apathy, your giving in. You know? And cast yourself on the mercy of the cross every day. Every once in a while, from the fear angle, remember that Jesus has represented you. Do I represent Jesus? One day, Jesus will represent you before the Father and say, this is my child. Let him in based on what I've done. And he will. Now, will you represent him Replay the gospel every day. When you visit the beach on Friday, people are going to know if it's authentic, if it's real in your heart. (laughs) Love controls you. I pray that it does. I pray that you are gripped every day by something bigger than you and that people will see it in your lives. The other thing you can do to do a little prep work with people is to guide conversations towards the next step of the good news. Evangelism success is not in the leap if we had to do it all at once and sort of just, i got to get this all out there. you got to hear all of it. It would be very difficult to do, wouldn't it? People would feel like you're not treating them like human beings, like persons who, who want to be listened to and want you to know their story. So take that next step. I think that's how we should judge success in sharing the good news. Tim Keller of Redeemer, New York City, said there are three questions you can kind of ask people in preparing them for the good news. One is, very simple in conversations. What do you like or not like about your job? What do you like or not like about the, your job? It's a question we ask maybe all the time. Right? In gatherings, just meeting someone for the first time. You have a curious questions about what they do, what their career is. That's the next step. And you ask it with good news intentions. The next step then would be, what do you think a person really needs to be fulfilled? Because when you're asking somebody, what do you like and not like about your job, they usually are starting to lead into that next question, which is, what do you think a person really needs to be fulfilled? Another question you can ask is, how do you like living there? How do you like living in that area, that neighborhood, right, that town, that district? Because the next step, you can ask the question, what do you think is the real problem in society? What do you think that is? And that gets to a gospel, good news leading question. Because we're going to see the real problem is something called sin in individuals' hearts and how that manifests itself in society. Right? And so you start taking another step towards getting to the good news. Another question. Did you hear about this, some moral dilemma? Did you read about this? A good example, you know, the co-pilot that brought down this Lufthansa plane in the French Alps. Right? Did you hear about this? 
What does that do, first of all? It gets to how do you decide what's right and wrong? What's your basis? So the pilot example is a great one to discuss with people. One, people know about it. They know what's going on. But immediately you get into this question of what's right ethically. To report can endanger people's lives if they don't get medical attention or the privacy of a doctor-patient relationship. And that's one of the questions. This gentleman had written a note, or, or sorry, the doctor had written this gentleman a note saying to excuse him from work. It said he was unfit for work. But then it was found in his apartment, ripped up. And of course, all these lives are lost because of it. And you can start to, with these even very difficult, very tragic examples, people know about them, they're thinking about them, it produces conversation. You can get to, well, how do you figure out what's right and wrong in your life? What's your basis for it? Guide conversations towards the next step of the good news. You don't have to get it all out at once, but with each conversation, the next step. The ultimate goal is to get to the actual sharing of the good news, which we'll spend the rest of our time on this morning with these lovely good news napkins. You should have got this morning uh, a bulletin, and to it, stapled a napkin. You might be wondering, what in the world is this? Um, It's not for your after-sermon scones. All right, or scones, depending on how you pronounce that. It's not because the sermon's going to go long and we're going to have lunch together. None of this kind of thing. I have found that once a person's ready to hear about Jesus, once they've indicated they might even want to start a relationship with Jesus, the next step is to explain to them the good news about Jesus fully. They need to understand it. Even if you think, oh yeah, I think they got it. Taking time visually with verses to, to, to share with them is extremely important to make sure they're grounded and why napkins? Because I'm, there's a 50-50 chance, just from social science we know this, the person you share with is a primarily visual learner. So then they can see. And of course, napkins are almost everywhere you go. If you're having the kind of conversation we're talking about, you're having it at a place like Carlos and Martin's, Cafe del Sol, somewhere for after work drinks. And these little, these little babies came from Cafe del Sol. So they're authentic. Look, you may have a great book, an inspirational video. You may have a tract, clever tract like this one. I found a, a Star Wars evangelism tract, The Force Within, where the center is Anakin Skywalker and this sort of thing. But you probably don't have it with you. And, and people might think it's kind of cheesy. So um, what you can do, though, is show people, this is real to me. This has gripped my heart, the good news about Jesus, and I want to share it with you. The best way you can do that is not through prefabricated literature, not through a video, not through a song, but showing them yourself. Showing them that this is real to me. This encourages me every day of my life. This inspires me. This has saved me. And so you write it out yourself. And that's what we're going to practice this morning. And I want to encourage you to use your napkin and a pen to follow along. Okay? If you're able... On your Bible there, take your napkin. You can actually unstaple part of this. You can make it into a larger. Look at that, how it folds out. That's very nice. Um, or you can just use your notes here on the bulletin. But I want you to practice with me sharing the good news about Jesus with others. All right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. What's amazing about this passage in 2 Corinthians is there's a great little summary where Paul just stops and says in verse 18, all of this is from God. The motivation to share the good news the strategy for spreading it, and the good news itself. All of it comes from God. And so when we start to share the good news about Jesus with others, it starts with God. 
Because the good news about Jesus starts and ends with God. So we want to share it appropriately. What Three of the things I like to share about God with people, just right off the bat, is about God's love, God's perfection, and God's justice. God loves you. God is perfect. I like to use that instead of holy because people get perfect. don't necessarily get a Christian-easy word like holy. And they get the idea of justice. They want fairness in life. So I draw God in a sort of cloud shape because God is spiritual. And I want to really emphasize that God is totally other than us. Totally other than mankind. There are things we do well because we're made in His image, but those things He does perfectly. When our love fades, His love endures. Where we see a lack of justice in the world, God will one day read the whole world to justice. So I use and jot down Scripture along the way. And I do that I know that's hard to do because you've got to actually memorize it. You've got to care enough about people to like, kind of get a few memory verses committed to mind. I think that's important. I do this for three reasons. One, assuming you don't use the napkin to wipe the cream from your latte, this sort of thing. You can actually give the person this napkin afterwards, right? You can hand it to them and say, here, keep this. And because they've jotted down the Scriptures, they can look it up later. Even if, for instance, Google 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Someone just writes that into Google. A reliable Bible translation will come up, and they can look at it later when they go home. Awesome. Second thing it does, writing down a little Scripture reference, is it gives them confidence that you know what you're talking about. People, ultimately, they want to hear from you, but they want to know that something's bigger behind what you're sharing. Namely, that it's God. You're not just sharing your words, but God's words. People want to know that. Right? Maybe they've just met you. Or maybe they know you well, but this is a life decision. So you can write down a little scripture reference for them to look up later. Also, scripture is powerful. We're told that Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, that God's word will accomplish his purpose. It will not return to him empty. We're told in Hebrews 4 that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It can cut through People's hearts, their convictions, their thoughts. So using Scripture when you're sharing the good news about Jesus is powerful. It can cut through people's hearts. So 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. And finally, Matthew 16, 27, God will repay each person according to what he has done. He's just. God is so loving, he wants to share that love. He's created you to be in a relationship with him. That's when we get to the next part of the good news. And that is us and our big problem. It says in verse 19 that at one point, God counted trespasses against us, but through Christ, he does so no longer. We have a big problem. We've decided to say no to God and his ways. We see this from the time we're born. One of the things I like to do in conversations is just ask the person, take a break from Sharon and say, hey, do you have kids? Or do you have a niece or nephew? Most people have one of those in their lives. I say, like, at what point did you notice your niece, nephew, your child started to say no to you? And most people recognize, yeah, it was pretty early on. Like, they threw food in my face, or they ran away when I said, come here. That's where you start to show people, see, all of us have that problem without even telling people you're supposed to run away and do your own thing. We're born with this problem, that we want to live life on our own terms. We want to say no to what other people tell us and say yes what we want to do it's a problem it's a problem with us and God too 
So I'll write down Isaiah 53, 6. Let's write that there. You'll see that there on the uh, left-hand side, which says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. It's a simple way of saying we have wandered. We've done our own thing. And that's a problem. Because God has never sinned. He's perfect. And you can't be around sin. And don't you want to be around God forever? If so, then something has to happen to bring you back to God. Because sin has separated you. A lot of times I'll write down Romans 3.23. All people have sinned and they fall short of the glory of God. And I usually like to camp out here. And let me tell you why for a minute. This is very important, guys, because when you're sharing good news about Jesus, and I think you've known this, you've ever had this experience, sin is the thing you want to get over quickly, right? You want to be like, by the way, we're all imperfect, you know, we all mess up. Good news, Jesus is here. We might not even get to that point. We might say, we all lack peace in our life, and so Jesus gives us more peace, or we all have problems, Jesus can help you. We don't like to actually talk about that three-letter word, which is sometimes for some of us worse than the four-letter words in life. The three other words are sin, rebellion. Just call it that big no, wanted to do your own thing in your heart. We have to stay here. I want to tell you why, because I have found that most people, even when they make decisions for Christ, there are a lot of people who never come to terms with the desperateness of their situation under sin, their situation of being separated from God. They don't get the sense that without a Savior, They are completely lost, without hope, desperate. We think, really honestly, guys, that we're pretty good and that's good enough for God. I've heard about Jesus. He's pretty good. Between him and the kind of good person I am, that's going to be good enough for God. But that's not the message of the good news. I want to tell you a true story that I've shared with people while sharing the good news, actually. Um, It's of an armed robber. Um, I'll look back at the story again. I always forget his name. It's Dennis Lee Curtis. He was arrested in uh, South Dakota. But he was better than most crooks, though he was a robber. In his wallet, after he was arrested, police found a sheet of paper on which was written the following code. Number one, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Number two, I will not rob except at night. Uh, I will not wear a mask, number three. Number four, I will... Rob, I will not rob many marts or 7-Eleven stores. Number five, I'll only flee by foot because vehicles can put innocent people in danger. Um, number six, I will rob only seven months out of the year. And number seven, I'll only rob the clearly wealthy. And it had in parentheses like BMW. <laughs> and then at the end, in caps, he had written this, just this like, kind of like manifesto summary. I will be better than most crooks. But in the end, he was judged by the law of South Dakota. That's our standard too. And most people stand. That's where they start. Ah, oh, but I'm better than most. I'm better than most parents, better than most wives, most husbands, better than most of the employees here. I'm a better citizen. I'm a better person. That's not God's standard. He has one standard, better than one. The one who followed his law perfectly lovingly, justly. That is his standard. And the consequences of not living up to that standard is death. Eternal separation from the one who is and gives life. Because God is just, if he didn't punish, he would be less than completely just. So Romans 6.23 reminds us that the wages of sin, the payment out for sin, is death. Separation from him. 
We do all kinds of things to bridge this big chasm between us and God. And I like to draw that chasm up there because it shows how far apart we are from God. People will try to leap, make the leap between where they are and to God by way of religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. And so we'll do charity work. We'll try to be as kind as we can to others. Right? We might, even, we might tithe in church. You might do a number of things to help your neighbor. Oh, I'm the friendliest person on my street. God is so perfect, so just, so holy that He cannot be around even a little rebellion. Thankfully, there's a rescue plan. That's the next part. We read that in verse 21, a great summary. For our sake, the Father made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. God is love. He loves us. We had a plan in mind to rescue us. Someone reminded me this week that everything costs something. The same is true of God's rescue plan. He couldn't just forgive us. He is just. So somebody had to pay the debt. Somebody had to pay the price. Someone who is like us and can take our place, but is not guilty. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus neither committed sin nor had sin in his nature. He lived out God's law perfectly, but he takes on the guilt, the consequence for sin on our behalf. He, he absorbs it into himself. And on the cross, he experiences God's just punishment for sin. Total separation from his Father, the first time in all eternity. The Son of God does that for us. What does this accomplish? That's the next part I'll go through with people. What does this rescue plan accomplish? We read that, sorry, in the rest of verse 21. We might become right with God. Our Creator. One, we get a new relationship. Isn't that great? We get a new relationship. A new start, we get a new person. A new relationship Look, God is the end of the gospel. And when you trust Him, you get God forever. He gives you Christ's righteousness. Christ's right record of living, you get. You get His presence. And it's Him you were created for. As it says in verse 15, those who, might, uh, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for God. That's one smart guy, man named Augustine once said that, you were, that God made us for Himself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Him. And we have that in Christ. You get a new start. Total, permanent, forever forgiveness. That burden can be cast away. You become a new person. It says here in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is absolutely gone. The new has come. A new relationship. A new start. A new person. The only thing that's required to make this good news good for you is trust. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to go to church X number of times and show yourself to be a good person before we're really going to accept you. And Jesus is going to accept you. One thing, trust. And I make something clear to people. One, a personal response is necessary. And that comes in the form of trusting your life to Christ. I write down John 5, 24, where Jesus says, whoever hears my word and trusts that him who sent me has eternal life, that person doesn't come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. You see that up there? You cross over. John 5, 24, it's such a great visual. If you trust Jesus, that He can give you eternal life through what He's done for you, you cross from death to life. And of course, you cross from death to life. You get to use a pun as well. There's a cross in the middle. Emphasize at the beginning and the end of the presentation. If you remember one thing, remember that there's one thing required for knowing God and being with Him forever, and that's trust. 
And what specifically you're trusting about Jesus, that he is your God and forgives you forever. One of the most surprising things, and I'll conclude with this, that Paul says in this passage, he says, we implore you, look at that in verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Get right with God. And it's surprising because he is sharing this with the church, isn't he? He's sitting there, he's sharing this letter, and it's being read in front of a church like ours. But I thought churches were Christians. The reality is, as it was for Paul, that you might be listening today and you've not trusted your life to Jesus. You've not been reconciled to this perfect but loving Father. Let me implore you, even as I try to represent Jesus and his good news, look, an ambassador does two things. Develops relationships and delivers news. He does not draw up new policy. Neither am I making this up, friends. Your, your situation is desperate. You must make a choice. One day you will present before a perfect judge your own record of right living or Christ. So let me implore you, choose Christ. You know God forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you have rescued us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for those of us who have trusted you. I pray for my friends here who maybe haven't really trusted you to be their God and to forever forgive them. Please help us know for their sake how desperate our situation is without someone to represent us before a perfect father, a perfect attorney, a perfect representative to say, I'll take his place or her place. Jesus, I pray nothing less that people this morning would trust you. And for those of us who do already trust you, you've given us this amazing message Oh, Father, we want to please you with our lives. We want to be your ambassadors. Help us. We want to share with you this great love, share with others this great love. Please encourage us to do so this Friday and give others a truly good Friday. It's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen.